We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking the u.s men's national team international window review i guess slash grade more bruce arena slash revolution drama the return of the u.s women's national team and how good is inter miami Let's see. Other stuff, leads, tears, the jackal, turf wars, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this uh, Wednesday, September 13th in the year 2023? I'm doing well, although I'm not going to lie, my feelings were hurt yesterday. What happened? I was not invited to the uh, Fox World Cup rap party. Well, there is there there, there is some... Uh, so that is being challenged. Your assertion is being challenged. It's either it, 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 it. I'm not sure you weren't invited. I, maybe you didn't get the email invite, but that does not mean that you weren't invited. But and ultimately, we we fixed it. We got you there, and so we had a few drinks last night. So that was uh, that was fun. It was good to see you. Everybody everybody brightens up whenever you walk into a room, let alone a uh, a party. People want to talk to you. People want to see how you're doing. People want to delve into what's going on with you. So you're the life of the party, my friend. If I seem a little bit out of it today, it's because I had more than a few drinks. Yes, it was, uh, you know, they were flowing, as you said. But it was good. <laughs> it was good to, to hang out and to uh, have a good uh, night out and to celebrate everybody uh, that was involved. And, uh, you know, we go on to the next one. A lot of the talk last night was actually what we got going when it comes to, uh, from a soccer perspective over here at Fox. And obviously a huge, huge uh, year into next summer with Copa America and with the Euros and then obviously into 25 and then and then 2026. Um, you watch anything, my friend? I am often running on Top Boy. Uh, this is that show that I've described as the British Wire. Yep. It's the final That's season. That's a Netflix thing, right? On Netflix, okay. yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, the new season of uh, Welcome to Wrexham uh, debuted last night. Um, Remember, that's the show that teaches Americans about what real soccer culture yes, is yes, yes, like. Yes, yes, yes. So looking that. forward to that. I mean, you know? The education continues yes. of uh, these stupid, dumb American soccer folks out there. Um, let's see, what did I watch? I, I watched something. Back in 2010, there was a miniseries that came out called Carlos, and it stars uh, Edgar Ramirez. You might know him from Zero Dark Thirty and Born Ultimatum. He's a uh, Venezuelan actor. He's really, really good. Anyway, he stars as Carlos the Jackal. I know there's plenty of books and movies over the years that have been made about the, the Jackal, this, you know, this assassin and this political terrorist from the 70s and 80s. And it's, uh, it, it, it's a multiple uh, episode type of thing. But they did a really, really good job uh, in you know, kind of depicting <clears throat> where he came from and everything that ultimately happened with this 
psychopath that that is uh, and was the jackal. He's still alive. He's still he's in jail, but he's still he's still alive. So I recommend that. I think that was on uh, Amazon. Anything else uh, that you watched or read or that you want to mention? No, that's all right. It. Should we light this candle? Let's do it. All right. As we uh, as we mentioned coming in, U.S. Uh, men's national team finished up the window. Finished up their two games uh, this window against Oman, the mighty Oman. We had this game going on at the party that we were at, and then I watched a little bit uh, more when I got home, and then some uh, some today before we came in. I think in general the reaction has been, and I would uh, I, I would uh, I would agree with this reaction. This was a better performance than the game against Uzbekistan, uh, but it's still the same type of result in a multiple goal win, a, another uh, another shutout. So for Greg Berhalter. He, uh, in his return now, is undefeated, unscored upon, and now if my Rutgers education serves me correctly, he is averaging 3.5 goals a game for his team. So, so far, so good for Greg Berhalter. Yeah, this was a 4-0 that felt like a 4-0, not to relitigate the Uzbekistan match, but I thought the U.S. played great from the start, completely dominated the game. Horvath had nothing to do. The ball movement was crisp. Those diagonal passes from left to right, uh, Weston McKinney in particular, uh, was brilliant with those, including on the first goal. He played it to Weah, who laid it off the desk. He took a shot. Goalkeeper parried it, and then Balogun pounces on the rebound. Uh, McKinney, I thought, was the best player on the field. All right, so let's go through some of these players. You mentioned Horvath. He, he did nothing, and so there's really nothing to... I will say, though, I thought his distribution was great. He had some yes. lovely passes. Yes, so, that, so, so that's good, but it, it's hard to grade a goalkeeper right. in that situation if he doesn't have uh, something to do. And even in the first game, Matt Turner did and actually showed up as one of the, the better players in that first game against uh, Uzbekistan. So I, I don't think it's fair to, uh, to Ethan Horvath, although I think it is important that in this moment... Greg Berhalter decided to play Ethan Horvath with uh, Drake Callender's kind of sitting in the wings. So Gino Dest, I think, had a big window. I thought he was good in both of these games and continued with that, you know, incredible just belief that he should just go forward and bomb forward. And that's when he is at his best. I know sometimes he struggles from a defensive perspective if and when he is asked to do that. And that obviously will come against better and more elite types of teams. Uh, center backs, not a whole lot to talk about. Christo Christopher. Lund, the uh, Danish slash American player who was playing over for Palermo, he got a start. I thought that was interesting to uh, see that Greg Berhalter decided to do that. Didn't do a whole lot. I don't think he did himself uh, any necessarily favors in terms of the way that he played, but he didn't look completely out of place. Um, I don't know if he is the next coming. I, no, actually, based on this, he is certainly not the next coming, but it was interesting to see him out there. In the midfield, as you mentioned, Weston McKinney, he was the star. He was everywhere. Uh, he was involved. He was running the show when it comes to the, uh, the midfield and the attacking part of the game, not just in terms of getting in and out and going back and forth, but also these long balls, these cross-field uh, balls that he did on a consistent basis and he was just diamond guys out over 20, 30, 40, 50 yards across the, across the field and changing the point of attack in a really important way that then opened up space. So I thought he was, without a doubt, uh, the best player on the field for the, uh, for the U.S. I thought uh, Tim Weah continued to have a good outing and hit that right-hand side is, is wonderful. Did not think that Christian Pulisic had a good window, but you know, he, I, I, I'm not concerned about Christian Pulisic. 
relative to others and relative to these two games that he played, he didn't look, he didn't show the joy that we've talked about in previous pods that he is showing at AC Milan. He'll, he'll show up. I'm not worried about him. Flo Balogun uh, scored a goal, but it was a poacher's type of thing. It just fell to him and he finished it off. I still think that there is work to do for this team to figure out how to play with, uh, with Balogun. You know, and Pepe is waiting in the ring, wings. And when you come in constantly and you're putting the ball on the back of the net, that is a good thing from a competitive standpoint. Anybody else stand out to you? Well, we should say in the midfield, he did go with more of a 4-2-3-1 look with Malik Tillman as the 10 and McKinney. And didn't Lisa think Tillman sitting. was great. I didn't think Tillman didn't was think great. Didn't think he was great. The only thing you lose with that formation is those surging runs from Musa because he has to be a bit more cautious in that alignment. But I thought he played well overall. So... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find a bad performance in this game. Everybody who played, including the subs, uh, Aronson and Pepe came on at halftime and both were super active in the second half and got goals. The kid, uh, Kramaski, lovely through ball to Paredes in, in the fourth goal. So yeah, all positives all the way around. Yeah, I mean, this game was on TNT, our friends over at TNT and, and our friend and uh, colleague, uh, Melissa Ortiz, uh, interviewing uh, Greg Berhalter after the game. And he made a point of mentioning Weston McKinney. So I think he saw what we all saw where... This, if this is Weston McKinney continuing to grow and, and develop, and after a not very productive or successful loan stint uh, over at the EPL, that's a good thing going forward for, for him and for the, uh, for the national team. Matt Crocker, actually, uh, they interviewed him uh, after the game. And it was interesting what he said about Greg, because we haven't heard a whole lot from Matt Crocker, and yet he is, you know, everything seems to be flowing through him and he has made these changes kind of in a, a vacuum relative to public-facing types of comments. So to see him on set and to see him talk and to hear him talk about this team was, uh, was interesting. And it, when he, I want to read this quote he had about uh, Greg Berhalter. I'm really lucky with Greg. Uh, this is Matt Crocker speaking to TNT. Greg is what we call a, quote, legacy coach, somebody that doesn't just want to improve the performance of the senior team. He views his input in terms of supporting the overall pathway and the style of play, supporting the youth national coaches. And we want to do the exact same thing on the women's side. We'll get into the women's side here for a second. But this, you know, this defining of him as this legacy coach, I don't think that necessarily is anything new in that I think Greg Berhalter, when he took the job, believed, whether it's true or not, but at least he believed that there was a higher type of calling in terms of what he was doing and leading into 2020, uh, 2026. And I do think that, that that probably impressed Matt Crocker when he went back and did all of these interviews. And he has intrinsic knowledge, talking about Greg Berhalter has intrinsic knowledge, given the fact that he was there with, the, uh, with that cycle. But when he says he's a legacy type of coach, what does that say to you? Yeah, that it's beyond results. He's really looking to change the face of American soccer and leave a long-lasting legacy that, you know... We'll do you want Greg Berhalter to do that? Do you think that should be his goal or his responsibility? I, I, I think it's an added bonus if he's able to achieve good results and change the way the team plays in a way where we look many years down the road and say these were foundational years in taking the team in that direction. Well, then wouldn't that justify some of the criticisms over these last two games in terms of the way that this team played as opposed to the actual results? If this is about something bigger than just the X's and O's and the winning and losing. If this is about doing something that hasn't been seen in the past, then I think that that would maybe justify and call into question what we have seen over these last couple of games in terms of that, that performance. And I know I'm arguing at times against myself, but I, I want to be, be fair that if 
This means that Greg Berhalter is being judged on more than just the actual results of the national team. Then I think it's fair to talk about how this team played, and maybe if it's if it's even more and outside of what's happening on the field, about the way that the program is viewed. And right now, I don't think that there is a tremendous amount of belief and that there's a tremendous amount of positivity surrounding right now, right now, surrounding this program going forward. So that, I guess, is something that Greg is going to need to change going forward. I'm not sure he changed it in this window. Next window with, uh, with Germany and Ghana, maybe he can start to change it even more. Well, I think there's a lot of positivity surrounding the players. Yes. Uh, the one issue some people have is Berhalter. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of the talent pool, everybody seems to think that's heading in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, Matt Crocker also then went and talked uh, about the next big thing that he has to do, and this and it's a very big thing, which is hire somebody to coach the U.S. women's national team. Keep in mind, on the heels of not just exiting the, uh, the World Cup, uh, but a historic failure in terms of what Vladko Andonovsky, now ex-coach of the women's national team, and that team did. This is an opportunity for, for Matt Crocker, and I don't think he wanted it, but this is a strange kind of silver lining for him where he can kind of clean house and he can go and get the best possible person to lead this team, hopefully, uh, back, uh, back to glory. And he said a lot of different things. I'm not going to read them all, but he talked a lot about you know, the, the different tactics that were used or were not employed or the, you know, the fact of, uh, you know, not having a, a, a type of B plan and not having something else to go. He didn't give too much away as to who ultimately he sees or envisions as this person going forward or when this is going to happen. But again, keep in mind, the U.S. Women's National Team, we're going to talk more about this next week because the latest camp has been named. The roster has been named. We'll talk about that uh, later next week. But they are getting back into playing and they are less than a year away from the Olympics, which is the next big, big competition that they're going to be involved. in. Yeah, you could tell Matt Crocker resents this notion that by rehiring Greg Berhalter, it means there wasn't any real search process. And so Kyle Martino said last night that he went into great detail about how what a lengthy process it was and how they ended up with Greg Berhalter. And he said he's going to apply that same process to the women. So it is going to be interesting to see who that spits out. I would bristle too if I was him. And I had done a tremendous amount of work. And, you know, we have to take him at his word. We're not involved. They have laid it out and talked about the time and the resources that they put into ultimately coming back to Greg Berhalter. But I, you know, I think he wants to make sure that people recognize that this isn't just him throwing darts at a board. This isn't just, and by the way, not just him, but obviously he's leading the search. And so he wants to make sure that when he picks that next person for this women's national team, that people understand that there is a process, there is a method to any perceived madness that is going on there. And I think that anybody in that position would want to make sure that everybody understands that. And part of that is, it is PR. Part of that is communication. Part of that is communicating with people and getting in front of the camera. And I hope that this is the start of more opportunities that we get to see Matt Crocker be face forward. Because I think this team, other than the actual coaches, which have to have a presence, I think that this uh, federation and both of these teams that Matt Crocker now represents, they need somebody in a much, like I said, much more public type of uh, image that let's be frank 
that Ernie Stewart did not have. Either he didn't want to have it or he wasn't comfortable having it. But I, I think that if this bodes well for the future if he is going to come on and talk to the media on a consistent basis. And he doesn't have to, have to explain every single thing that he does, but give people an idea about what is, uh, about is what happened. By the way, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, the Federation came out with a five-point plan today about the future. And it, and it goes beyond, you know, this is from, uh, you know, all of the leadership there as to what they're going to do. A lot of it is, you know, kind of corporate speak and, you know, flowery types of, uh, uh, of, of things. But at least it looks a plan, and you can find it on their uh, on their website. And I was reading through it today. Like I said, a lot of it is, this is what we want to do, and and a lot of it is, it is obvious. How you actually go about doing it, that's a whole other story. Um, anything else with regards to either the U.S. men's national team as we sign off for this window, uh, or the U.S. women's national team? And like I said, we will talk about that more next week. Yeah, I don't want to step on next week, but I do have a couple of thoughts on the women. Uh, okay. You'll indulge me. It is a bit odd. Uh, listen, Julie Ertz and Megan Rapino are legends and deserving of any tribute you want to give them. But the timing here isn't great because you're coming off this awful World Cup. As you mentioned, you're just 10 months away from another major tournament. You kind of need to turn the page here and get going. And instead, you're kind of, let's be honest, in effect, wasting two matches, which could be pretty useful against a good South Africa team that impressed us at the World Cup, reached around a 16. I haven't seen their roster, but I'm hoping Tembi Kaglana is on it because what a fun player to watch she is. Uh, and instead, they just called up the same roster from the World Cup, minus two players that are injured, Sophia Smith and Christy Mewis. And then the two new players, Mia Fischel and Jane Shaw, are the only two that people seem to be excited about on this roster, which speaks to the fact that people do want to see new blood and turning the page. We're not really going to get that here yet. It's still going to be Alex Morgan and a lot of the veterans. Uh, so it's a bit odd, these two games. It it is odd in that you are you are celebrating these two icons uh, at the expense of what made them icons, <laughs> and so and and look, the, the the national team creates stars, and you know I I benefited from the platform that is the national team, and I I, I get that, but I also recognize that the national team is not a charity, and the national team is bigger than any one individual. It doesn't mean that you can't find ways to celebrate people, but, oh, you know, let, let's, let, let's table that for next week. But that, I think, is a, a really interesting discussion going forward uh, as this national team gets set to regroup. But in that, like you said, I mean, this is, this is par for the course for the women's national team, though. They can never fully extricate themselves from the past. And I, I believe that in order to go forward, they kind of have to. These two games have a victory tour feel, minus the victory. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, before we take a break, Mossy, a couple more scores from this international break, including uh, our friends to the uh, South Mexico, tying Uzbekistan. So maybe our, our result against Uzbekistan gets a, a new, fresh look. Although... In, in this moment, what Mexico is, I don't think that we should be using that as a standard or a comparison. Yeah, crazy game. This was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Mexico was down 2-1 late. They scored twice, take a 3-2 lead. You thought they were going to come out on top, but then Uzbekistan equalized in stoppage time. Um, so 3-3 uh, the final. Yeah, and, and Mexico had drawn Australia in their previous game to two. So a winless window for them under their now permanent coach, Jaime Lozano. So no bueno. I mean, I'm not going to cry for 
for Mexico. I'd like it when Mexico is better, but you know they they got to get their you know what together going on. Uh, a couple of other scores. Okay. Uh, Germany uh, got a little new manager bounce. Rudy Voller on an interim basis, orchestrating a two-one victory over France in Dortmund. Uh, Thomas Muller and Leroy Sané with the goals for them. Griezmann scored for France. Uh, England three-one win over Scotland at Hampden Park. That was the match celebrating the 150th anniversary of the first ever international game. Jude Bellingham oh. with a goal and assist. Did you see some of his highlights did, in this game? Did you see his assist to Kane where he gets the ball and just on a on a, a spin top just turns, gets... And not only does that, not, so not only does he get it under pressure, but he gets out of that pressure and leaves two players in the dust and then has the composure to shift his weight and just play the perfectly balanced pass into uh, in, into the pathway for for Kane to do what he does so well. Uh, one Euro qualifying score that got my attention. Did you see Portugal beat Luxembourg nine nil? Nine minus the suspended Cristiano Ronaldo. He's got to be kicking himself because th- these are the teams that he scores most of his international goals against, and he missed a chance to he fatten have, his he record. Feasted the the Luxembourg coach left after the eighth goal in the eighty something <laughs> minutes, and I'm I'm done with this, and he walked out on this team. Um. And then good news for Inter-Miami. Um, Messi did not play in Argentina's second game against Bolivia. He wanted no part of the altitude. They didn't uh, need him, they, though. They won 3-0 anyway, so he'll be nice and rested when he gets back to Inter-Miami, and we'll talk MLS uh, after the break. Okay, cool. Uh, that's a good segue into uh, next, uh, next segment. All right, we'll take a, look, a quick break like you mentioned, and when we come back, we will talk some MLS stuff and all of the different uh, leagues over in Europe that are kicking back off uh, this weekend. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's take let's take a look at MLS, but let's continuing you know as the revolution turns right uh, the continuing saga over there at the New England Revolution. Um, God, American soccer, Mossy, we we eat our own. It is just ridiculous sometimes. All right, so I got up this morning. I, I jumped on a Zoom call, a Zoom uh, press conference type of thing of the New England Revolution. Uh, which included the New England Revolution president, Brian uh, Bellello, and interim sporting director, Kurt Anolfo. And they, I mean, you knew going in, there's only so much they can say. But t- just for, as a recap for anybody that may have missed it, Bruce Arena has resigned from the uh, New England Revolution uh, based on an investigation that found that uh, he had used inappropriate uh, language. Assistant coaches Shari Joseph, New England Revolution legend, and Dave Vandenberg, uh, evidently they have, quote, parted, mutually parted ways, which each, each of these assistants, Richie Williams, who, after the resignation of Bruce Serena, had been installed as the interim head coach, now remains with the organization, but they have offered Richie Williams some time off during this window. And so Clint Pia, former MLS player, is now the new interim New England Revolution <laughs> coach. This is a big old mess, Mossy. This is, and, and I'll be honest with you, this is a, a sad mess. And again, we are on the outside and we do not know exactly what was said and we certainly don't know the context. And that is probably by design. And, but from the outside, it looks like a completely unnecessary, self-inflicted wound. And it seems like all of this that has happened 
could have been and should have been dealt with internally and personally by everyone involved. And now we're left with a situation where careers and reputations are damaged. And ultimately, nobody wins in this thing. Nobody is going to come out of this looking good. And, you know, again, as I said, we don't know what Bruce Serena said, but I don't know if we're ever, ever going to know. And, and maybe Mossy, maybe we're not even entitled to, to, to know. But obviously, Bruce felt that this was a situation where it was problematic enough where he had to resign. But if this is about something that was said and the goal, which I'm assuming for MMLS, a revolution, is to stop people doing whatever it is that has been deemed inappropriate in terms of the language that was used and stop them from doing it in the future, I would think that players and staff and everyone would want to, would want to know. But this, this is a New England Revolution team that now has to get ready to play against, by the way, the Col- in Colorado against the Colorado Rapids under new interim coach, Clint P.A. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is the weird part of the story is the fact that Richie Williams and Bruce Arena had this long relationship. So reading between the lines, it sounds like the players feel like Richie Williams behaved in a way that was very unloyal. And so they decided we don't want to play for this guy. And so they've had to move him to a different position and not have him be They the didn't coach. train and, you know, they decided. And, and again, Bolello and Anolfo, while they answered some questions, they, they were all kind of platitudes and we want to get back to work and we're going forward. And they can't talk about it either from a, you know, a, a legal perspective or a privacy perspective and all that. And, and again, Mossy, words matter. I, I get that. And words have consequences. But, and, and I believe in being mature and being professional in what you do. But when, when did we as individuals or as a culture become so weak and so insecure when it comes to, to language in, in that it's now weaponized for everything and anything that hurts our feelings, regardless of intent, is, is used. And, and look, I know you've been called things. I certainly, for most of my life, have been called different things and names, horrible things to my face, behind my back, online, on the, on the street, in the stands, everywhere. It just it comes with the territory. And you either learn to ignore it or you deal with it. And this is, again, we're, we're on the outside. So I hope that we find out ultimately what happened and then we can, I think, in a fairer and better way, judge everyone involved. But this is going to end where, where nobody wins and it's going to be yet another sad and maddening type of self-inflicted wound that American soccer has, has wrought. And we will again eat our own in a completely unnecessary way. Uh, very quickly, I said unloyal, disloyal. Oh, there you go. There you go. You might make sure you're a wordsmith. I, I, I get <laughs> uh, that. And, and the amazing thing here is that New England is having a very good season, as yeah. we're going to find out as we check out the Eastern Conference standings. For those of you watching us, they are in second place behind Cincinnati. They're, uh, a, they're a good team. But <laughs> can you imagine if they go to Colorado, which is not a good team? No, Colorado's a bad team, okay? If they go to Colorado and then they lose, given, uh, given all this. And, and, you know, Kurt Anolfo in this, in this uh, conference that we had earlier today, you know, he said a, a bunch of different things, including, um, you know, let's, uh, what did he say? Don't, you know, stop talking about the baloney out there. He does not want anybody, and I get it, anybody focusing on this. But this is going to be part of the story and a big part of the story, as it would be 
in any league and in any other sport going forward. And it is going to provide the context of this, uh, this game that is going to happen between Colorado and New England. So I'm sorry, but you may think it's baloney, but this is what people are going to talk about. This is what people want to talk about going forward. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm, for, I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, let's see. Saturday, Cincinnati flying this year against Philadelphia. Perennial favorites. That's going to be fun as uh, Cincinnati hosts them. Number one versus number four in that table. Uh, Orlando versus Columbus, number three versus five. So, so there's some delectable types of things. Anything got your, fa- uh, you know, tickle your fancy here? Yeah, Cincinnati to Philly is a fun one. Cincinnati, the one team that's already clinched the playoff spot, they're headed towards a supporter shield. But uh, Philadelphia, very tough team to play against. So this will be a fascinating matchup. And it, look, we got a, an El Trafico on the, uh, on the horizon here coming uh, when it comes to the Western Conference. Should we move to that? Yeah, let's check out the Western Conference standings. Next. All right. All right. You'll see LAFC in third place, the Galaxy all the way down. Uh, you don't see it because we're only showing top 10, but they are 13. That's all, 10, that's all that matters. I mean, look, <laughs> it, it, look, everybody we know right now is, that, is in that musical chairs mode. And that music's going to stop and teams are going to either be above or below the line. And while there is no relegation, this is the line of demarcation between success and failure. Might be initial success, but it is a, a line between success and failure. LAFC is still third in the West, but they've lost three in a row. And to me, they've never looked the same since that CCL final defeat to Leon. And you got Austin and Portland and Kansas City and LA. And as I mentioned, Colorado below the line. You know, right now it's really LA, Kansas City, Portland and Austin fighting for that because there's four points difference uh, with LA, one point different when it comes to Austin. So everybody is going to, you know, these games are going to be incredibly important, incredibly competitive as people try to get into the uh, the playoffs. So while the traffic in and of itself is fun, what is at stake, especially when it comes to the Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles Galaxy? I mean, that, that the Galaxy is yet again in this situation that they are you know, facing a possibility of not making the playoffs. I mean, how how the mighty have fallen. It's just it's just sad. And, you know, as someone who played for the Galaxy, worked for the Galaxy and has seen the Galaxy in a certain light for, you know, a number of decades and a leading light when it comes to Major League Soccer, it is just not going well for the Los Angeles Galaxy. And then the FS1 game is Austin hosting Portland. Those are the first two teams below the line in the West. Austin, a team that a lot of the Matt Doyle types felt like was going to regress because they really op- overperformed some of their underlying metrics last season, and, and they've been proven right on that. And Portland, boy, it takes them getting used to not seeing Gio Savarisi on the right? sideline. I mean, there's, there's a lot of changes. And, and I'll be honest with you, because of well, the, the, the changeover when it comes to broadcasting and the migration to Apple and you know, out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people, and, you know, just the, the work schedule we have and the, and the World Cup and stuff like that. I'm not sure how much relative. Well, I can tell you that relative to previous seasons, I still follow it because it's my league and I love it. And I, you know, I wear it on my sleeve, warts and all. But I know that I have not day in and day out followed it in the way that I have done in the past. And part of that is, you know, what what we do, what we don't do. And like I said, the the Apple type of situation here. But as we get down to the uh, the, the end here of the regular season and people are fighting and jousting for those uh, those final spots, 
yeah, the games get even more important. You know, we were in Sydney during League's Cup, so we didn't get a great feel for this, but I, I'd wonder if people that were here, how much did League's Cup sort of break the momentum of the MLS season? Has it been tough to get back into that MLS mindset? For us, it, it, the League's Cup occurred right during the time that we were in Sydney, so we would have had that sort of weird sensation anyway, so we're not really equipped to judge that. But you know. I, you know, I wonder if the powers that be over at MLS, what they see going forward as to what a typical MLS season is going to look like in terms of when it's played and obviously the intra-league type of situation that, that was, uh, was League's Cup. I, I don't know. I mean, M MLS, and we've talked about this a little bit before, I think they have incredible potential and maximizing what they have right now and making the changes on and off the field to make it something bigger and bolder and something that we haven't seen in the last, let's be honest, almost 30 years, uh, despite their success. I think that's, that has to be the next goal. And I, you know, I want to see them do something big and bold going forward. And whether it's, you know, on the field in terms of, uh, of the spending that goes on, whether it's off the field in terms of the season that they have and the schedule that they have and the, the way that they compete, those things are, those are the kinds of things that I want to see when it comes to Major League Soccer going forward. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to follow this uh, to the end here for this season and obviously MLS Cup uh, within uh, a season that, to your point, had so many different things going on, including that, uh, including that tournament. All right, shall we uh, switch over to uh, Europe? Yep, and let's go to Italy next where there is a massive game with Americans prominently involved. Uh, Inter Milan facing AC Milan in the Derby. Uh, both teams, three wins out of three to start the season in Serie A. Uh, and, one in, and one and two, right? And, one and two. Yeah. Uh, Pulisic only played 45 minutes uh, last night against Oman, so I would think he'd be in line to start. Uh, shouldn't be an issue. I mean, He'll get back in plenty of time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I hope he was fine, and he seemed fine from a physical perspective, even though they weren't two great games. But you hope he picks up where he left off when it, came, when it comes to AC Milan and this new adventure that he is having over in, uh, in Serie A because he was phenomenal. And you know, these, are the, these are the big types of games. And that we have an American, uh, and multiple Americans, let's be honest, uh, that's a good thing. That's, that's a fun thing to see. Yeah, Musa hasn't started a game yet and was an unused sub last time out against Roma, which was a big win AC Milan had. So he's kind of... Slow burn for him. Pulisic's walked right in and been one of their best players, if not their best player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think... Uh, you think he'll emerge? I think Musa well. will... I mean, he, he, he grows on you. I, I don't think anybody that's, that, that watches the game can't look at this guy and recognize that there are going to be places where he would, uh, he would fit in. And two hot strikers here. Lautaro Martinez, five goals in the first three games. He's the top scorer in Serie A, followed by Olivier Giroud, who has four in the first three games. So uh, they'll be leading their respective attacks. Feed, be the, bears. Feed the Bears. Feed the Bears. All right. Uh, it, well, incidentally, uh, before we move on, Italy, uh, McKinney and Wea also big game. Juventus host Lazio, and Juve are third in the table. So uh, it's a big weekend in Serie A. It's fun. I mean, I, I like seeing... And, and I know there's American connections here, which makes it even that much better. But this is on the back of a return, if you will, a resurrection, if you will, of Serie A and what it is. And it's, you know, being relevant to other leagues and to, uh, to Europe here. So this is fun. This is fun. The games are fun. And then what is happening with Serie A, that's, uh, 
That's good stuff for those that like cereal. Uh, in Germany, there's also a top-of-the-table clash between two teams with perfect records, three wins out of three. Bayern Munich hosting Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, for Bayern Munich, Harry Kane off to a strong start, as you'd expect. He already has three goals this season. For Leverkusen, they have the hottest young coach in European football, which is Xabi Alonso. He's done a phenomenal job there. Everybody's super high on him. If Carlo Ancelotti does, in fact, leave Real Madrid after the season to take over Brazil, I'm like 90% sure that Xabi Alonso would get that job. Uh, but he's also a possibility with Bayern. You know, if something happens with Tuchel, uh, I mean, he, he, his next job will be something on that level, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Keep in mind, he, he played under Pep at Bayern. He played under Mourinho and Ancelotti. So he's learned from the best and he's borrowed from all of them. And so he has all these connections. And so he's going to end up at a, at a big, big club after this season. Has he done anything out of the norm? I mean, how is... I mean, you can look at the results. So I guess the proof is in the pudding relative to the results. But what, what, and we don't see training, but you mentioned his incredible pedigree and the training sessions and the coaches that he has had to kind of learn from. But do you see anything in the actual play that has changed the way that Bayern Leverkusen go about their business? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a, a classy Spanish midfielder so he sort of drinks from that fountain mm -hmm. so I think his teams are going to tend to play that sort of style um, so yeah alright okay uh, uh, what else and then also in Germany uh, Dortmund are away to Freiburg Gio Reyna over the uh, international break played a game for Dortmund's under 23 team uh, you never know with him but I would think he'd be fit enough to at least make the squad for this one we'll see Gio's still hoping to make his season debut. Well, they need something, right? They're sitting in ninth place. Is that yeah. right? Bruce yeah. Dortmund in ninth place? My goodness. Well, Gio Reyna might be the savior when he, come, uh, when he comes in. And because we, we found out after the fact that he evidently had fractured his leg when he was hurt earlier this, uh, this year. So I hope that it is healed. I hope that he is back. And again, with all the drama surrounding him, you know, this is an incredibly talented player that can make Borussia Dortmund better and can make the uh, the national team better. So I hope that he's back. I hope that he's playing. There's some talk about Dortmund trying to get Jaden Sancho in January on loan because, you know, his situation at United now is terrible relationship with Ten Hag, and so he might need to leave, and so... I, I didn't predict that Jaden Sancho drop-off, right? I mean... Uh, it's been stunning to me. It was... I mean, can you, like, what he once was and what he is now. And I know there could be a million different contributing factors on and off the field going forward, but... What a what another fall from grace. My goodness. Um, all right. Should we go to the uh, EPL? Yeah, a couple of games we want to mention here. Bournemouth facing Chelsea. Tyler Adams not expected to play, although he did post a picture on social media of him training. So he's not too far away from getting back on the field. The interesting thing here is that, remember, Chelsea is a team that was going to sign Tyler Adams this summer and then pulled the plug on the deal at the last minute. He ended up at Bournemouth. Uh, so there's an interesting Tyler Adams connection here, even though he's not probably going to play. Uh, now, Tyler getting screwed by Chelsea, Leeds folks felt like was karma for the way Tyler acted towards them. Did you see this quote from the Leeds CEO? No, read it to me, though. And he's referring uh, of Tyler Adams and one other player, so that's right, why so. it's plural here. He sounds oh, like a, uh, you know, a, a scorned lover. Yeah. Ultimately, I have to respect their decisions, but I don't think it's the way to behave to a club that has really looked after you and continues to look after you and was offering you fantastic alternatives to remain at the club. There were players who were perhaps led by their agents to employ tactics, which will mean they're not on our Christmas card list. So Leeds not happy with the way Tyler kind of forced his way out. Oh, my God. Grow up. God, what a baby. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens when you go down. And 
you have players that have other opportunities because of the talent that they have. So you probably should have picked better, gotten better players, gotten better coaches, uh, and figured out a way to stay in the EPL. And there, and then you wouldn't have lost your players. But you know, I mean, come on. I, I, and and again, I don't know what he's referring to ultimately in terms of the actions, but. To have an agent work on your behalf, to have an agent do things that then give you as a player plausible deniability, that is part of what the buffer of an agent is. And that is part of what the job of an agent is. The job of an agent isn't to look out for the team. The job of the agent is to look out for the player and only the player and to get that player the best possible deal or to get that player the best possible situation that he or she can get for them. And that's what happened in this case when it came to Tyler Adams, uh, that it didn't happen to Chelsea. Would you have rather he had gone to Chelsea? No. Okay. So you're happy with the way this ultimately worked out for him. This is a better type of destination than Chelsea, given what Chelsea is and given what Tyler Adams is right now. I mean, look, we, I just hope that the hamstring is okay because that's that's not an easy injury. And until he actually is literally firing that hamstring in a way where it's not anticipated, we're not going to know if it's going to uh, it's going to hold. But the sooner the better, because uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's club or whether it's country, we can use him back. Uh, and then Manchester City will host West Ham. Uh, City atop the table with four wins out of four. Erlen Holland atop the scoring charts with six goals. West Ham off to a good start. They're just two points back. But there's several teams at 10, uh, and they're one of them. So we'll see how they... Yes, they're they're good, but they are, are they Man City good? No, because nobody really is unless you get that perfect that perfect day. Uh, Holland also scored for Norway against Georgia uh, in a Euro qualifier, so he's doing it at club and country. Uh, one point of interest for me in this match, and also Ali Wagner, because this happens to be her favorite player. Okay. Remember, City was going to sign Lucas Paqueta in this window, and it blew up because Paqueta is under investigation for this betting thing where he uh, family members of his bet that he was going to pick up a yellow card in the game, and he did, and it was all very suspicious, and so he's under this cloud of investigation. And that news broke like the day that they were going to wrap up this deal of him going to Manchester City for like 80 million pounds. And so he's at West Ham playing very well, continuing to play. It sounds like there's not going to be a resolution in the investigation for several months. So West Ham in the meantime said, we're going to continue to play him. Uh, and now he faces Manchester City. Mossy, Mossy, why are you talking about all this baloney? You should really not be talking about all this baloney. <laughs> Did you, uh, I mean, you played in Italy. Uh, any betting shadiness you ever witnessed of a player so you know? at the at the time uh they would play what was called okay if i remember correctly skidina or something like that where you would bet on all of the entire it was legal for players to bet but you had to bet on the entire uh weekend of games and so it, it was impossible to kind of fix because you're only involved in one game and you would have to have all of the games hit and so you would bet win or lose, win, lose or draw, I guess, in every single game. I remember being in the back of the bus with guys with filling out their sheets and doing all, all those different, uh, you know, picks for that uh, for that weekend. I'm not sure if they're able to do it again. But, yeah, I mean, there was always talk. And then there were definitely games where the outcome wasn't predetermined, but that look happened at a certain point in the game where everybody understood, hey, this is good for you. This is good for me. And let's just 
play this one out. The most underrated late 80s baseball movie is Eight Men Out. It gets oh. overshadowed by Major League and Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, but that's a great movie. John Cusack, I think. Yeah, the, about the Black Sox scandal. Yep. Uh, so, oh, yeah. That's really good. I like that. Um, all right. Anything else uh, from a league perspective over there? No, that's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay. Welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point in the show where you... Uh, Send in your comments, questions, and concerns either on the uh, social media platforms out there. And again, our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. 657 549 2297. What do we got today, Mossy? Uh, we have three voicemails. Ooh, let's, nice. Let's listen to the first one right now. Hey, guys, this is Luke from Atlanta. Uh, I'm a current senior at the University of Colorado. So love hearing you talk about my buff, Alexi. Um, so I had a question, uh, again, about Inter-Miami, um, and you guys had a conversation a few months ago back when it seemed like a possibility for LAFC about an American treble and what that would be. Um, I wanted to revisit that question. Uh, so Inter-Miami's won the League's Cup, and they're in the final for the U.S. Open Cup, and now they really seem in the hunt for the playoffs. So if they got the MLS Cup, the Open Cup, and the League's Cup, um, is that a conversation that we have about a treble for uh, an MLS team? So thanks, and uh, love, to, love to hear your response. All right. Well, thank you, Luke, uh, and his Colorado team, uh, Prime, uh, Coach Prime and all that kind of stuff going on. So heady days over there in, uh, in Colorado. I'm sure he's having a good time outside of the classroom. Hope he's still doing this stuff inside the classroom, too. All right, yes. So I, this would, I, I don't know, I mean, my initial reaction is absolutely this would be a treble. So we're, we're talking about opportunities to win cups uh, and trophies here. So League's Cup, which we know Miami has already won. They are in the final of the Open Cup against Houston, playing in Miami. That's uh, coming up uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, do, do you count Supporters' Shield as another one? Or what do you think, Mossy? Are we, are we putting that in the... The opportunities to win things. Yeah, there's different types of trebles, different combinations. Okay. I would say the supporter shield okay. is in there. So there's a supporter shield. So that's three. MLS Cup is four. And then do we are we counting Concap Champions League? I know I think that's where that this whole conversation came from, where we were kind of going around the corner of seasons and stuff like that. But I think that ultimately, if Inter Miami were to win League's Cup, uh, the Open Cup, and MLS Cup, absolutely that would be considered a treble and would justify it. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, in, in Europe, the ultimate treble is considered league, primary domestic cup, primary continental competition. So, for instance, Man City last season achieved that. They won the Premier League, the FA Cup, and the UEFA Champions League. Had they won, let's say, the Europa League instead of the Champions League, then it would have been a debate. Is that really a treble? Because it's not the a primary. So you get into that here because there's so many different competitions. I would say the ultimate treble in American soccer would be MLS Cup, U.S. Open Cup, and CCL in the same season. But like I said, there are, there are different kinds of trebles. So I think this would constitute one, yes. Yeah, sure. So we know the, the League's Cup was this coming together of Major League Soccer and Liga MX as the two biggest leagues in the region. What would the equivalent be in Europe? Obviously EPL. And then who would you put as second? Probably La Liga. But really? it's, it's not to the same degree that those two. No, but leagues. what I'm but what I'm saying is, if they were to do that, you're saying La Liga is number two. So if EPL and La Liga were to do that, where Although, all of the teams were to come together, 
that would be a trophy worth winning. And I think you could make a, a justified argument that that could be part of the roster of trophies that you could win. Although La Liga versus Serie A right now is an interesting conversation. As to who's number two in Europe? Yeah. Ooh, maybe we just created some more content here. I, we'll, 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 save, we'll save that. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll throw it out there, by the way. Not just to Luke, who brought this up, but to everybody out there. Who, what league is number two right now in Europe? All right, what's next, Muscle? Another voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hello, this is Justin Case from Utah. Big RSL fan. Uh, thanks, Alexi and Mossy, for taking my call. Um, enjoy the show. Love the show. Uh, I just wanted to give uh, not only a shout-out to that, but a uh, shout-out to Stu Holden for being on the last couple of weeks and just finished listening to the most recent episode and just wanted to give a shout-out for somebody who finally put the formation controversy to rest. Um, I appreciated Stu's comments about what a formation really means and how it's just the foundation of getting started. There's so much talk about that, um, and we don't need to talk about it anymore, but just wanted to thank him for those comments of saying that a formation is just to start from, and then the players can do what they need to to win the game after that. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of the show. All right. Well, thank you, Justin. And while this is called Ask Alexi, we make it very, very clear that this can be questions, comments, concerns, or anything. So this is just a comment, and you know, we, I guess we could pass this along to Stu. Uh, in this case, it was a comment praising a show that I wasn't on. Right. So that's <laughs> exactly. kind of interesting. Yeah. I can't believe this got through, Masi. You let this, uh, let, let this get through. Well, thank you, Justin, and uh, good luck to uh, RSL going forward over there in Utah, and thank you, for, uh, thank you for listening. I think we got one more, right, Masi? Yes, this should be interesting. Oh, uh, one more voicemail. Let's oh, take boy. a listen. Hi, guys. It's Amy calling from Stowe, Vermont, and I'm calling to follow up on the conversation you had with Jonathan regarding Bruce Springsteen. First, I have a follow-up question. Have you seen him live? How long ago or how recently? Because it wasn't until I saw him live that I really appreciated him and his music, his songwriting, his artistry. My second question, though, is how do you feel about Taylor Swift these days? She has taken over the pop world uh, in every facet. And I'm curious what you feel about her, her music, her business sense, how she markets herself, how she gets out her product, and how she is managing her tour that is now about to last two years and seems to have no end in sight. Thanks for the time, guys. Bye. Well, thank you, Amy from Stowe, Vermont, there. Uh, and I could tell that she was trying to be as calm as possible <laughs> because, you know, my comments last week, uh, on, or earlier this week on Bruce Springsteen and how I feel about him. I know that they raised the ire. I know that people were not happy with me out there. And Amy was not the only call that we got, but Amy was the only one that we could, we could actually use. So uh, it's fine. As we said before, you don't have to agree with me or Mossy uh, on anything that we say. And you can certainly voice your opinion on this, uh, on this segment like we did. Uh, so a couple of things. And I think I mentioned it uh, last pod really quickly, but yes, I have seen Bruce Springsteen live. And yes, it is everything that it is cracked up to be. He is an incredible performer, one of the great performers. And even if you are like me and don't necessarily love all Bruce Springsteen music and think that he is overrated just in terms of being an artist, as a, as a performer, he is up there. Uh, the length of show and the quality of show and his ability to reproduce what obviously he has done in the studio, but also to you know, have a different take on some different things 
I mean, that, that, that is incredible. And I can 100% re- respect that. Um, and this probably would have been 20 years ago that I saw him. So I have not seen him in a long time. I know you're going here later on this. We, uh, we hope the boss having some health issues. He's had to cancel some shows on this tour. We'll oh, see right. Yes. So it back hope by... that he is okay. Uh, then, and he continues to perform at an incredibly high level. Uh, when you, you know, when you see Bruce Springsteen and hell, when you see the Rolling Stones and what's going on with them, it's just incredible that they are able to, uh, to, uh, to do that. Uh, when it comes to Taylor Swift though, uh, I have, uh, I have admired her from afar in terms of what she has done. And I have, I have kids, and we went through the whole Swift stage and we started out with, uh, I guess, would have been 1989 album and that kind of stuff. And now into this era, my kids have kind of moved on from it, but it is a phenomenon. And it is a phenomenon that I think is worthy in that she's an incredible talent, incredible songwriter. And to your point, Amy, I think that the management that she has and has had first off to cross over from a much more country type of vibe into a pop world, but to do it in the way that she has and to write the types of songs that she has and to grab hold of so many, not just young people out there, but to have what she is writing about resonate with so many people of all different ages. I mean, it's a credit to her as a talent and it is a juggernaut right now. The amount of money that she makes, the amount of money that she makes personally, but the also the amount of money that she makes for others as this economy you know, Swift economy comes into cities and continues, like you said, two-year tour, selling out multiple dates in stadiums. These aren't arenas. These are stadiums that she is doing. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. And when we see it at different times, whether it's a Prince or a Madonna or you know, even a U2 and that kind of stuff, but the, the, for her ability, to sustain, her ability to sustain this is pretty incredible at a still relatively young age. My buddy, Adam Levinson, just saw her at SoFi. He took his girlfriend for her birthday, I believe. Uh, and he said it was unbelievable. I mean, he's no fan of her music, sure. but even he came out and said that was an incredible show. I mean, you want, first off, the amount of money you're paying and the hype behind it, you want to see something. You want to see something special. And whether it's you know all the bells and whistles that she has as part of her show, or whether it's just her sitting up there strumming a guitar, she's mesmerizing uh, in her talent and in the way that she presents herself. And she's an incredibly smart businesswoman, and she's incredibly smart to surround herself from a very early age at the very beginning of her career with people that have guided her to this position where she is reaping the incredible benefits. On the topic of music, you, you called Springsteen overrated. Yep. Uh, and then at the end of the podcast, Sean Sullivan comes out here and very matter-of-factly says, Oh, the Beatles are also overrated. Right? I thought he Did was going to slip that take that by in? us. And we, wait, what? My goodness, that is a take. I, I will a little coda to a little coda to my uh, my take on Bruce Springsteen. When I was over in Italy playing, uh, I recorded an album out over there, and I did some music over there. And one of the things I actually did was I did a um, a tribute to Bruce Springsteen that you can find. It's on Spotify and all that kind of stuff. So, despite my feelings about Bruce Springsteen, it did not stop me from uh, uh, contributing two songs to this tribute album. And you sent those to us. And that got you out of the Aaron Shecker doghouse because yes. she was not happy with you, but seeing that you did that for the boss. Yeah, I did a cover of um, If I Should Fall Behind um, and then a cover of uh, Tougher Than the Rest and stuff, a couple of uh, songs there. So that was really, really fun to, to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I, have an, I still have an incredible respect for uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we will wrap up the show with my monthly 
Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, you know this uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, character, right? I do, yeah. Uh, one of the great quarterbacks of all time when it comes to the, uh, the football, right? Yeah. So I, like a lot of people, got caught up in the, in the excitement and the anticipation and the optimism of Aaron Rodgers, who for so long was so good in, uh, for the, uh, the Packers of Green Bay and now went to the Jets of New York. A, a long-suffering type of franchise, right? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I mess yeah, yeah. this up, right? So far, so uh, good. And so, you know, hope springs eternal, and everybody's excited. They finally got the quarterback that they need. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I, I watched the game. He comes out of the tunnel at his first game uh, on September 11th uh, against the, uh, the Buffalo Bills. He comes running out on the field. He's holding the flag. And by the way, that, that flag entry was incredibly uh, beautiful, and moving, and I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. And then he gets on the field, and he doesn't even last an entire series before he blows out his Achilles. And as wonderful as the flag entry was, and as beautiful as it was, it was, the injury was just horrible, and sad, and like I said, horrific to see. And you just felt the the oxygen and the energy just completely deflate in that uh, that stadium. Now, a lot of talk about the injury happening on synthetic surfaces. I, I don't think that the surface in and of itself did this in that this could have been done elsewhere. And there's questions about the type of uh, uh, cleats that he was wearing and all that. And I do feel incredibly bad for the Jets fans and all the Rodgers fans out there, given all that, ex that excitement and that optimism they had. I also didn't realize, Mossy, how down folks were on Zach Wilson, the, uh, the backup quarter quarterback. People do not like him at all. Immediately talk about, they got to go out and get another, uh, another player. And whether it's, uh, you know, Tom Brady bringing him back or Colin Kaepernick or anybody else, there was, there was like, there's no chance they can go on with Zach Wilson, who probably doesn't feel so good about that right now. But it got the discussion going about um, surfaces. We all know that there is now multiple generations that have grown up with synthetic surface. I prefer, like I think a lot of people, regardless of where they come from generationally, I prefer grass. Now, with this caveat, I prefer good grass over good synthetic. And there is good synthetic and bad synthetic. But I prefer good synthetic over bad grass. All right? And we all know that real grass is only as good as the usage and the weather and the maintenance that goes into it. And as I said, there are a whole lot of generations now that have grown up playing on synthetic surfaces and, and they don't think twice about it. It's not that they wouldn't prefer to play on grass, but grass costs more and obviously grass is destroyed much more quickly and all it takes is one rainstorm uh, or any type of precipitation to really mess up uh, a grass field. And with locations and uh, real estate for fields, it's difficult to have some of, these, uh, some of these places. And it's more efficient when it comes to putting in a synthetic surfaces for high schools and for communities. And so I get why that it has happened. Uh, we now have players and teams that play on synthetic surfaces in MLS. We have for, uh, we have for years. It's just part of the deal. You look up at Portland and other places, Atlanta, uh, and the list goes, goes on and on. Would, would we like to have everything be grass? Yes. 
is grass going to come in for the 2026 World Cup because of uh, because what that what FIFA requires? Yes, but that is going to be pristine. They are going to spend a boatload of money to make sure that it is beautiful grass. If all grass fields were like what we are going to see in 2026 on those uh, on those fields that are now not grass, if everything was like that and everybody could play on that, nobody would opt for synthetic surface. But the reality is that the day in and day out wear and the programming of these fields, it's impossible to be able to, to do that right uh, now, given the cost and given the realities of, uh, of what happens. So I remember old grass. And again, I don't want to grumpy old man this too much, but I remember playing on what basically was concrete with a small little green carpet over the top of it. AstroTurf, if you will. That that has long since gone away, thankfully. And when you get on the, the, the new versions of turf, it's not grass, but it's a hell of a lot better and light years away from that AstroTurf type of, uh, type of situation. And who knows, maybe we get to the point, whether it's in our lifetimes, or, uh, I don't know, but maybe we get to the point where synthetically you can produce something that does act and feel and play like grass. And that's the ideal, but we're not, we're not, there, uh, we're not there yet. And when it comes to American football teams, to bring it all back uh, to, uh, to Aaron Rodgers, these are owners, and this is a business that spends millions and millions of dollars on these players. The amount of money that was spent to bring Aaron Rodgers here. You don't think that if they believed that their asset, which is these players and is all of their team, were better served playing on grass, that they would do that? And I know there's a lot of complaining now of, uh, of, of coaches out there. If they want to do it, great. But also recognize that there are going to come moments when you have a crap grass field. And that doesn't look good and that doesn't play good. And I guess the dirty little secret I will leave you is when it comes to American football and soccer, what players want can be very, very different. And oftentimes when it's multi-usage and multi-sport usages, football players, especially running backs, want it packed down and they want it really, really flat and not with that give because they can, you know, they can, uh, they can plant and they can dart and do all those different things, as opposed to soccer players who want it to have a true roll, but they want it to stick up and they want to be able to hit a ball in and not have it just completely roll off of the field. So this, this conversation and this debate will continue on. Ultimately, that it's coming out of a, a horrific situation with Aaron Rodgers pulling his, uh, his, uh, his Achilles. It sucks, but I don't know how they are ultimately going to uh, uh, you know, come up with a way to fix this type of situation going forward. And I don't know if the NFL owners are ultimately going, if this is going to change anything when it comes to the NFL owners. When I got back from uh, Sydney, I binged Hard Knocks, which was about the Jets. Yes. It's all about Aaron Rodgers. And so... It got people into it. Yeah. Uh, it's just an amazing development. You know, the now, Jets... Uh, what, who, who is your team over there in New York? If, if they had to have an American football team. Did you... Did you uh, I, don't, I don't have an NFL team. You didn't care. Food for Michigan guys. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, this Rodgers thing is stunning. Now, the Jets, as you mentioned, they're a long-suffering franchise. So a lot of people, their reaction is, oh, typical Jets. Of course, this would happen to the Jets. But nevertheless, it was pretty stunning. Yeah, look, even, even a rival, uh, you don't want to see someone, someone like this. You don't want to see anybody go down with an injury like this. And the Jets would have been better with Aaron Rodgers, evidently. 
but you know, the league would have been better. So, I mean, look, I don't know. He's 39 years old now or something like that. So who knows if he is able to come back uh, this, those Achilles injuries, oftentimes those Achilles things will happen even without contact. This was a little bit of contact, but sometimes you just turn the wrong way. I remember Brian Ching. I remember being and watching Brian Ching when it happened. And sometimes it gets really gross. It even rolls up the back of your uh, leg and it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing to come back from. So I, I hope, I wish him well uh, for Aaron Rodgers and, uh, Condolences to all of the Jets fans out there for what now uh, must look like a, you know, very shaky type of season going forward. So we'll see what they do. If they, I, I believe in Zach Wilson. Maybe I'm the only one that believes in Zach Wilson. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thank you for uh, listening and rating and reviewing and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do out there when it comes to the State of the Union podcast. Uh, also, remember our State of the P- uh, Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. We will talk to you again next week. Have a wonderful time watching whatever it is that you watch this weekend, including all of the soccer out there. And we will talk to you next week. And until then, and as always, size up. Uh,